What a great day. What a great day to be alive. What a great day to, a day to know Jesus. Every day is a great day to know Jesus, but sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we let just the busyness and hecticness and even worries of life sort of crowd in on that. But it's a great day to know Jesus. It's even a better day to know that Jesus knows us. Amen. Well, let's continue with our series. Let, let, let me not dawdle in, in um, preliminaries. When God moves, um, I hope you're desirous for that. That made me sound like a strange statement to make to a bunch of Christians, but I, I really hope you're desirous from the, for that, for God to move in your life, in our church, in our country, in our world, and that we get to see him move, that we get to participate with him, that we get caught up in that movement. You know, if, if God's doing something, how many of you want to be a part of it? Right? I don't want to watch God move. I want to be caught up in it. I want to be an integral part. I want to be included. Um, I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines just saying, yay, God, go, God. I want to be in it with him. And I trust that's your heart as well. Um, so we're talking about when God moves. You know, there's no full explanation or understanding that I can give you that would fully satisfy and define that short phrase and define the movements of God, how God moves, when God moves, why he moves, why he moves the way he moves, what he's thinking, what's on his mind, what's on his heart as he moves. I, I, I could never definitively fill in all those blanks for you. There's no prescription that I could write. There's no formula I can give you. Well, if, if this and this and this and this line up, then God's moving all the time. And this is how he's doing it and why he's doing it. Because sometimes God's moving and we don't know. Sometimes God's moving and it feels like he's not. Sometimes God's moving and it feels like he's moving in the wrong direction. Anybody? God moves. Here's one thing that I know is true. When God moves... He moves in a way that he thinks he's God. He moves in a way where he just acts like God. He doesn't um, necessarily take a vote. He doesn't take a census. He doesn't, he doesn't rule by, by popular polls and by trends. When God moves, he, he, he just moves from a position of being God. Um, he, he is open to and he hears, he even invites our prayers, our supplications, our petitions. He receives them all to himself. But when he moves, he doesn't take into account our desires or our directions. He moves according to himself. He moves according to his own will. He moves according to his own character. And we have to learn to trust that. Anyone ever been guilty? My hand's in the air, so I'll be first to confess of, of when you pray, giving God's instructions on how he's supposed to do it. God ever take your advice? And sometimes, you ever find yourself, sometimes I find myself thinking, well, I really want this to happen, but I'm not going to pray that because he won't do that then. He won't do it that way if I pray it that way. Because God's going to always act like God and 
Whatever your circumstance may be today, whatever condition or situation of life, whatever is happening around us today or that we see or hear, um, God will always act consistently the same. He will always act out of his own will, out of his own character. And we can take rest in that. We can trust in that. Because, because God can't improve. Did you know that? God can't get better. God will act out of his perfection. And when he acts out of his perfection, it will always be for his glory, and it will always be for our good. We can trust in that. You know, we, we sing that song, you're a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. That means no matter how he's moving, whether we agree, disagree, understand, don't understand, discern it or don't discern it, it's perfect. When God moves, it's perfect. His ways are always perfect. Amen? All right, that's the introduction. Um, let, let me pray, and then we're going to go to Judges 6. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to go to the sixth chapter of Judges as our text for today. Father, thank you that you're not a stationary God. Thank you that you're not just an icon that, that we talk about. Thank you that you're not just a picture on a wall. Thank you, Lord, that you have a will, that you have a volition. Thank you that you're animated, you move, you talk, you speak, you think, you feel, you act. And Lord, you, when you move, it's always right. And when you move, it, it, it's always holy, it's always just, and it's always for your glory, and it's always for our good. So Father, we trust you today. We pray that you would move in our hearts, even in this time, as we open up your word, and we study this portion of Scripture. Lord, I'm asking that you, you move among us. I'm praying that you move in a way that only you can. Speak to our hearts. We're here to receive. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guess what? Guess how many points I have for you today? Three. Believe it or not, yeah. I have three points for you today. Three observations I want to pull out of our text. Uh, we won't get through... Um, the whole text we're going to be talking and getting to talk about Gideon a little bit, but we won't get through his whole life because it covers too much ground. But um, out of the text we're going to, which is largely in the, just the first chapter or the sixth chapter of, of Judges, we'll get through as much of it as we can. Um, point number one, let, let's just start there. Um, God moves redemptively in spite of our carelessness. Okay, it'll make sense as we talk about it. Judges 6, the first Verse, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into hand, into the hand of the Midian for seven years. Let's stop there for a moment. That, that's a hard phrase. That's a hard sentence. That, that's not uplifting. That's not a good way to start a sermon. The, the people of Israel did evil, what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and so God gave them into the hands of their enemies. That, that sounds... A little indicting. That, that sounds a little intimidating. God is moving, but it seems like he's moving not for his people. It seems like he's actually moving against his people. So let's pause there and just rewind, okay? Let's think about where we've, where we've been, because um, there's always a, a backstory. You always need a context when we, look at, when we look at Scripture. The book of Judges follows the book of Joshua. That's where Israel has been. They've been with Joshua for all these many years. 
traveling with Joshua, possessing lands. You know, the book of Joshua is about crossing the Jordan River, moving into the promised land, the land that was promised to Father Abraham, um, passed down to them through Isaac and Jacob. And now the people have actually moved into the land that, that God had ordained for them. And, and, and Joshua was about possessing and, and, and moving into their inheritance and inhabiting the land. And it was about victory after victory as they followed um, and, and obeyed the Lord. Um, but this is the book of Judges now. We, this is a different time. Joshua is, has passed away. Joshua has died. And, and not only has Joshua died, but that entire generation, all of his, all the elders under Joshua, all the leaders under Joshua, his entire generation, Judges 2, um, 10 says that, and all that generation, all of Joshua's generation, also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who didn't know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This is the condition that Israel is in. This is the condition that the people of God are in at this time. They didn't know the Lord. That means they didn't acknowledge him. It means they weren't really acquainted with him. There was no personal pursuit of the Lord on their part. There was no inclusion of God in, in daily living. Now, when it says they didn't know the Lord, they, they, didn't, they knew about God. Okay, it's not that they were absent. They didn't have an understanding or a concept of, of God. They, they knew about God. They, remember, these people were there um, when Joshua gave his farewell address before he passed. Joshua gathered all the people. He, he recounted their history. He reminded them of the stories of, of, of Egypt, the stories of the wilderness wanderings. He reminded them of the miracles of God. He reminded them of the laws of God. He reminded them of the faithfulness and goodness and kindness of God. He cautioned them about violating God's laws. He warned them that, that blessing comes with obedience and, and um Disruption comes with disobedience. And, and they had heard him make all of these remembrances. And then they heard Joshua himself make his own personal declaration that we're very familiar with. When Joshua stands and says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Makes that public declaration. And, and the people agreed with him. And for a short period of time, after Joshua died, the people did their best to make a run at it. They, they tried to continue conquering land. They tried to continue uh, possessing the land. They tried to continue uh, in the path that, that they were inspired to follow. But it was very short-lived. It, it, it didn't go very far. They, they, they were careless in their handling of the instructions in the Word of God. They were care careless in the way that they walked out um, the, the life that God and the steps that God had ordered for them. They were, they were conquering land. They were taking land with God's help. He was leading them and guiding them, but they weren't really fully obeying God because God said, when you go in, you're to drive out the enemies. Well, they went in and they possessed the land and they subdued the enemy, but they didn't drive them out. And we find that over time, because of their carelessness, it led them to compromise. And the enemies that they were to drive out instead became the things that would be a snare to them. And over time, they found themselves not only accommodating the culture around them, but actually participating with the culture around them. And they had abandoned God. They didn't know God anymore. They were worshiping the gods of the culture. They were worshiping 
the gods of the, these foreign gods of, of the, the enemies that they had conquered. They were now finding themselves conquered by those enemies that they didn't drive out. Judges 2 and verse 15. So now whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned them, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. All right, it, it, God had told them. Moses reminded them. Joshua reminded them. It was, it, was, it was in their understanding, but they didn't grasp it for some reason. And, and they forfeited what God had promised. They forfeited his, his blessing and his, his covering over them. They forgot that their, their only power and their only protection as people of God, was to walk and live and stay under the covering of their covenant with him. That was their security. That was their success. That, that was their prosperity. By staying under and in agreement with the covenant that they had established with God, they walked out from under that covenant. Listen, all it takes for darkness to overcome a person's life or to over, overcome the life of a nation is to walk out from under the light of his covenant is to ignore the light of his covenant, is to walk in a self-willed way instead of a God-surrendered way, to ignore his presence, to treat his word lightly, to live outside of a life of obedience to him or fellowship with him, fellowship with one another, um, service to the Lord with the gifts and abilities and skills that he's given and entrusted to us. All it takes for darkness to encroach on light is for light to walk away from light, from the source of light. And the people of God give us that model and that example in this account. The covenant of God's word is sure, but it's not automatic. See, God's promises are sure. They're yes and amen, but they're not automatic. Just because we're children of God doesn't mean all of his benefits and promises come to us automatically. Do you understand that? The Bible says that his divine power has given us, past tense, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, his word is sure, it's absolute, but it's not automatic. You have to live a life surrendered to his divine power. Yeah, hello? Are we in agreement? Okay, don't be so silent on me. You make me think you're disagreeing, or I'm not being clear enough. The Bible says, in him, we live and move and have our being. What's the key? We have to walk and live in him. And then all these other things come along. And when we walk outside of the covenant that houses and is the umbrella of our, of our life of security and protection and safety, we put ourselves in a very vulnerable place. Now, that, now there's good news in this story, even though Israel found themselves in this, in this wayward position, there's good news that even in their rebellion, God moved redemptively on their behalf. God moved in a way favorable to them, even though they didn't know it while he was moving. Even though they didn't understand, even though it didn't feel like it while he was moving, God was moving redemptively because that's the character of God. That, that's, the, that's the heart of God. The entire book of Judges is a book about God giving second chances to his people. 
The entire book of Judges is this cyclical pattern of, of God's people getting in trouble, crying out to him, God sending a deliverer, saving them, restoring them, reviving them. And some period of time they walk with God, but then the cycle repeats itself again. Sound like any cycle maybe you've been even in, in, experienced in your life. The whole book is committed to that pattern because God is a God of second chances. See, God's love is not only unconditional, it's also very stubborn. We sing that other song. What is it? Your, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. That's the love of our God. And it, he, he keeps giving chances. He keeps, he keeps working. He keeps working with us. He keeps working around us because he wants to woo us back to himself on those times that we, we rebel or those times that we wander off. He's a God of... Anybody here thankful for second chances? You know, you know what? None of us would be here if it wasn't for that. If God was a three strikes you're out God, we'd all be out. Amen? Thank God he's the God of second chances. And that he acts redemptively, always. Always. What's God doing? He's acting redemptively. It doesn't feel like it doesn't matter. That's exactly what he's doing. Give him time. Cooperate. Obey. Listen. Discern. You'll find that God always acts redemptively. He, he can't act any other way. My second point is this. God measures the enemy's ability. God measures the enemy's ability. Uh, let me read the sixth chapter, verses 2 to 10. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Did you ever notice when the enemy always finds friends to bring along? He always seems to pile on when he gets a foothold in our in our lives. Verse 4 says, they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep, no ox, no donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out, for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Anybody thankful that God's faithful when we're not? <laughs> God continues to be faithful. Not only does he act redemptively, but he's always faithful. Especially at times that we're not being so faithful back to him. And that in that, even though our rebellion invites the, the, and opens an opportunity for the enemy to to. Um, have, have havoc in, and wreak havoc in our lives, God still, even in that, measures everything. Everything that touches us, God measures, and his purpose and ultimate goal is the restoration, the reconciliation, the preservation 
of our life and our relationship with him. And even in this scenario, we see that God didn't just allow Midian to harass Israel because of their sinfulness, because of their waywardness. He actually used Midian. Midian didn't know it. Midian thought Israel was in their hands, and Israel was in their hands to a large degree. But what Midian didn't know is Midian was in the hand of God. And that made all the difference in the world because God measures everything. I, I love there's a passage in Hosea, the fifth chapter, and this is a paraphrase, but God's talking about how he's going to deal with his people. And again, in Hosea, during the, in the context, the people of God are, are being scoundrels again. You know, they're being rascals again. And God says this, I, I can come and I can move into this situation that, that you've sort of created for yourself out of your own waywardness. He says, I can come as a moth or I can come as a lion. You choose. There's a big difference if you draw that correlation. God says, I can come and I can just be at a little bit of an annoyance. And I can just sort of get your attention. And you could repent at that point. You could realize we've, we're walking in an improper way. And you can correct it that but if you won't come as a moth, then it's, it's like this, this rheostat that he says, I can turn up and, and the heat can get hotter. And, and the, the difficulties can increase. And, and I, can, I can allow the natural consequences of sin to, to begin to play out in your life more and more. So instead of coming like a moth, all the, I can come like a lion. You know, a, a moth you know, just bugs you. A lion takes a bite of you. And God says, you choose. You choose. Determined by your openness and your willingness and, and your receptivity to repent, to return to me, to correct those things in your life that are displeasing to me, I, you choose. But I'm, how I move in your life, but I'm going to move in your life. Because I love you too much. I can't just leave you there. I can't just allow that to continue because it's not good for you and because I love you way too much. And so we find God using Midian and the hand of Midian was against Israel, but, Israel, but Midian was also in the hand of, of God. God was governing what Midian could and couldn't do. Notice in the text, they could overpower the people, but they couldn't overthrow them. They could devour the land, but they couldn't devour or destroy the people. They could steal their livelihood, but they couldn't take their lives. They could scatter Israel, but they couldn't stop him. Because if you looked at the, look at the text again, you see that Israel continued to raise crops. They continued to, to um, multiply their livestock. They continued to be productive. But there were consequences attached to their disobedience. And, and, and their misbehavior had real-time consequences in their lives, that even though they were productive, they weren't prosperous. That even though they were busy, they weren't blessed. Because they would apply themselves and they would, they would invest in their crops. They would invest in their livestock. But there was never any increase. The moment there was any kind of life and growth before they could benefit from it, the Midianites came. And took it all. 
So that Israel's working as hard as they ever could. And in some ways, perhaps being as productive as they ever could, but they never could enjoy the benefits because God gave them into the hand of the Midianites because of their disobedience. And it's hard to read this account, for me at least, and not see similarities to today, to our circumstance today, to the situation and even state of the church, at least in our, in our nation today. It's, it's hard to read this and, 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 and not see the correlations where it, it feels like Midian has invaded in some very obvious ways to me, in some very real ways, it's, it seems that our voice as, as a church, as Christians, our voice and our values have been overpowered by Midian. It, it seems that uh, morality and, and righteousness that we understand, biblical morality, biblical righteousness, it seems that it's been devoured by this, this swarm of locuses that, 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 of attitudes and, and philosophy and idea that's invaded our land. It, it seems that the, the church, it, it, as Christians, it doesn't feel as safe as it used to, to be out in the public square. It, it feels that we're, we're no longer desired or, or wanted, that, that we've been relegated to the, the caves and dens of our own church buildings and community gatherings. And we're not wanted anywhere else and even been considered you know, trying to be restricted from being anywhere else. And, See, from politics to the pandemic, it feels like Midian has come in and taken much. Is, am I the only one who thinks that or feels that? It, it just seems like we're in that place as a, as a country. But I want to challenge all of us. I believe the church in this country is at a very crucial, crucial point. We're balancing on a fulcrum, and we have to decide which, which way we're going to go. Individually, that, it comes to an individual choice, and it comes to corporate choice as well. But let's not make the mistake that Israel did. They went into hiding. They, they gave in to, to the, the isolation, to the separation, to the intimidation of the land around them. They, they forgot that who they were. They forgot they were the people of God. They, they forgot the promises of God. They, fought, they forgot that God said that, that the victory is yours if you let me do the fighting. They forgot who they were and all that God was and all that he had promised to them. We, and sometimes I'm afraid that we can't forget who we are. We're the church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're the body of Jesus Christ in the earth today. We're the church. We're the people that God, Jesus said he's going to build. He says, I will build my church. We are his church in the earth and his church can never be defeated according to the word of God. He says, I'll build my church. And listen, even hell can't stand against it. So we have to remember who we are, not just go into hiding and not just recoil and not just get all fearful and say, oh, woe is me. And, and let the Midianites just have their way. And when Israel remembered who they were, they took their first positive step forward. And you know what it was? It says they cried out to God. The people cried out because of the Midianites. They were one cry away from being delivered. They were a cry away from turning the things around. They were a cry away from, from reclaiming and restoring that which the enemy had stolen from them, but they had to cry out. And I believe we're in that same place today because God moves when his people cry out to him. You, you check the biblical account. 
Every time the people of God cry out, God responds. God never dismisses. God never ignores a repentant heart. God never ignores or overlooks a a child of his who's, who's crying out in need, in suffering, in pain. He's desirous and waiting to hear and to forgive and to rush in, but we have to cry out. Brings me to my third point. When God moves, when the people cry out and God begins to move, he sends a message and a man. He sends a message and a man. Judges 6 and the first part of verse 8, or 7 and 8. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. He sent a message. He sent a word to his people. They finally cried out. They were finally in a position where they wanted to hear and were open to hear God. So God, what? He responds, of course, and he sends them a message. He sends them a word. And that word comes, and the word reminds them of who they are. That word brings hope, and it brings instruction as well, and correction as well. He he comes and he tells them that uh, I'm the God who brought you out. I'm the God who spared you. I'm the God who saved you. I'm the God who, who, um, that you've turned your backs on. He, he exposed um, their, their disobedience. He exposed their need to repent. He reminded them about his faithfulness towards them. He reminded them that their need in their crisis wasn't for better crisis management. You know, sometimes that's what we do when we're in trouble. We, we just want to manage the crisis. They didn't need a better way of dealing with Midian. They didn't need better ideas on how to negotiate with Midian. They needed a course correction, not a crisis management course. They needed a course direction. He says in verse 10, you've not obeyed me. You've got to change your direction. You've got to change your steps. You've got to change your ways You've got to change your heart. You've got to be willing to move in a new direction. You're trying to just exist by resisting the Midianites. No, you need to return to me. It's a different result, a different response, and will yield a different result. And then he calls a man. And if we continued into verse 11 all the way through chapter 8, which we don't have time to cover all that, but... We'll, we'll dip our toe in that, that passage of Scripture. God calls a man, and here comes Gideon. Here comes this man who's named Gideon, Judges 6.11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now there's a whole new thing that we can go, I just can't take time for, but... This thing of beating out wheat in a wine press has its own unique teachings and understandings. But here we find this guy, this, this average guy, actually by his own admission, by Gideon's own response, um, we find this guy who had no confidence in himself. He had no real sense of purpose. He had no sense of, of, of um, self-worth. He was frustrated with his condition. He was frustrated with the condition of, of the, 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 the world around him. He had questions about why God wasn't doing something. He had questions about what was taking place. He was, he was far from this great man of faith. You know, in Noah's day, it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That the Lord looked down around, he found this great pillar of faith, this righteous man um, called, named Noah. Get, that wasn't Gideon. 
Gideon was just as afraid of everyone else. Gideon was hiding as much as everyone else. Gideon had, had all the same questions and, and even accusations against God as, as everyone else. But yet God was going to use this man to stand against and remove the Midianites from the land and call his people back to the Lord. Here's, I said all of this today. Here's my take home for us out of our context, of our text for today. Is there hope when life seems overpowering to us? Is there, is there help when we feel like we're working really, really hard, but nothing's getting better? When we look around and we see decline instead of increase, can, can anything change? And if it can change, which, by the way, it can. How does change come about? What do, we, what do we need to do? Well, we've already gone through the three points. I'm just going to repeat them, only I want you to apply them to any area of your life where you, that description would fit. Step number one, cry out to God. We have to cry out to God. And I wonder about that sometimes. I, I wonder if the church... If we want things to change in our culture, I wonder if the church is really crying out. I wonder if Christians are, are truly crying out to God. Uh, do, we, do we really care enough? Do we see the situations around us and other people in our lives? Do we really see them through, through the eyes of God where we're moved with compassion? Where we recognize our own our waywardness, if not personally as, as a kingdom of priests on behalf of our nation? Do we, do we um, cry out to God? Or are we just so consumed with ourselves and others? Are we content to hide in caves and dens because it's more comfortable? Are we really crying out every day, individually, corporately? Are we crying out to God? Listen, complaining is not crying out. Criticizing, condemning isn't, isn't crying out. Making excuses isn't crying out. Crying out is allowing the things that break the heart of God to break your heart. Then you'll cry out. When you look at a person, when you look at our nation, and you your heart feels what God feels about it. And God's heart breaks when he sees men and women who are trapped by the Midianites. His heart breaks when he sees men and women, people he sent his son to die for, lost in darkness. His heart breaks. And our hearts should break. Are we crying out to God? Are we seeing that he is the only resource that there is and he's the only resource we need? Are we crying out? Secondly, we need to revive his message. It says that he sent a message. He sent a word. And we've got to realize that God has already sent the message. Don't start listening for some new word. God has already sent his message. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We already know God's message. His message is Jesus Christ. His message is the cross. His message is the empty tomb. It says in Hebrews that there was, there was a time where God spoke through, through prophets and through forefathers, but not anymore. He has now spoken through his son. 
Everything God has to say, everything God wants us to know, everything God's going to speak, he has said through the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus didn't just bring a message. Jesus is the message. The gospel, the life that's available through faith in Christ. We've heard it. We've received it. And he has commissioned us with the ministry of carrying that message, of acting on that message. And then the third point is we need Gideon to answer God's call. You know, many theologians, many scholars that I read, when, when they read this text, when they pull out Gideon, they use him as a, as a type of, of Christ. And, and that's okay. I see some similarities. And, but, but in the context of the, of the account, as I understand it, I don't think that's the best um, application of Scripture for us. We, we, the angel appears to Gideon in the wine press, right? And most believe that that was not just an angel of the Lord, but it was the Lord himself. It was a Christophany. It was, it was a, a physical appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ um, that appeared to Gideon. And if Gideon doesn't change himself, nothing changes in his world. If, if Gideon doesn't change, the Midianites don't go anywhere. If Gideon doesn't agree and surrender to what the angel's asking, um, nobody is set free. And everything stays the same, and Israel keeps hiding from their enemies. And if you read the account, which we won't take time to do, and you probably know the story already. Gideon wasn't overwhelmed with this conversation. He wasn't jumping up and down shouting hallelujah with this conversation. Gideon was a little concerned about it. Um, and the Midianites weren't going anywhere if Gideon stays complacent. If he keeps hiding who he is. In fact, he... He responds back to the angel with, with all kinds of questions. Well, where's God been all this time? Aren't you aware what's going on? Now you're coming now? It's, it's just, it almost feels like too little too late. Why is this happening? How could you let it happen? Where are the miracles that we supposedly heard about? Where's this God of great wonders and power? We, we, that hasn't been our experience. And then he had doubts about himself. Who am I? I'm, I'm the least of the least. I'm from the smallest tribe and the smallest family in that smallest tribe. I'm, I'm nobody. What, I don't have any great ability or skills. Why, why are you calling me? Why are you, why are you here? Why are you asking me to do this? No, who's going to follow me? No one's going to listen to me. I, I'm, I'm just here hiding like everybody else. But you know what? I, as you look at the text, it really dawned on me, it really doesn't matter what Gideon said. If you look at the, the narration, God hardly re regards anything that Gideon said. The only thing that matters is what God said. God said, the Lord's with you, O mighty man of valor. See, God's calling Gideon, and his call changes Gideon's character. He calls him what Gideon didn't think of himself, O great man of valor. God saw something, and God had planted something inside Gideon's character that Gideon didn't know about yet, but God knew about it. And his call called it out of him. God said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. God's call also comes with the power we need to succeed. You don't have to worry if God calls you to do something that's bigger than you. Because if God calls you to do something, it's always going to be bigger than you. But with the call 
in the call itself, in the word of God itself, is all the power, everything necessary to accomplish what he's asked of you. It would be unfair for God to call you to do something you can't. He's not going to come along and empower you to do. But he will always give you the power to succeed within the call itself. And he said, but I'll be with you. And you'll strike the Midianites as one man. God's call gives us confidence to face the worst enemy, the biggest enemy, the largest enemy, the most feared enemy. God's call makes that statement out of Romans rise up inside of us as if God's for me. If God's for me, who can be against me? It leads us to our, my final point. And why don't you stand? And we're going to close in just a minute. But, so here's people crying out. Okay? Here's the message of Jesus Christ, which we know, we understand, and we've received, and we're so thankful for it. But then there's this man, Gideon. And we're trying to make application for our lives today, and we have to say, well, who is Gideon? And, and like I told you, I don't believe the best application here is to say, well, Gideon is a type of Christ. We can fit that, but I think it's a better fit if we said Gideon is a type of church, the church. I think as I read this story, um, it's okay if you write yourself in the story. I, I think that, that it, it does justice to the text if we would write ourselves in and realize that we are Gideon. We are Gideon. The church of Jesus Christ is Gideon. And we have to recognize that nothing's going to get better unless we let God have control of his church again. If his church, again, cries out and surrenders to the person of Jesus Christ, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. And these are hard questions. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about just, just us. I'm talking about the church in our land, those who claim to be Christians and followers of Christ. There's some hard questions that, that in my study I started convicting myself. But here's some questions, to, to ponderables. Who gets saved if we keep reaching out the way we've been reaching out? If we're not really willing and ready to hear and respond to a higher call of God, if we're not really willing to cry out to God, if we're not willing to, to genuinely repent before him and, and reprioritize our life so that we are serving him with, with, with all of our strength and might, who gets saved if we keep reaching out the way we've been doing it? Who gets healed? If we keep praying the way we have been praying. What enemies are defeated if we keep fighting the way we've been fighting? What addictions fall off? What relationships get reconciled? What mindsets get renewed if we just continue the way we've been? How's the kingdom expanded if we keep doing what we've done? I'm not giving answers. I'm just posing questions. But they're ponderables. I believe God's getting ready to move. I believe God's getting ready to move globally, I believe, and, and in many places has started moving already. And there's wonderful evidence of that reality. I believe God's getting ready to move in this nation again. I don't, I don't, I'm not of the camp that says America's doomed and it's all over. I think God, that's not the God I know. I believe God's heart is such that that he wants to move again. But I'll tell you something. 
God never deals with the world without first dealing with his church. Do you understand that? God never deals with the world and the culture around us without first dealing with his church. Why is that? It's because he can't deal with the world around us because until he deals with his church because the way he deals with the world around us is through his church. As he is, so are we in the world. We are the body of Christ in the earth today. And God can't get them if he doesn't get us. God can't work in their hearts to any degree greater than we allow him to work in and through our hearts. And I believe God's getting ready to move, but he's starting with us. He wants to move in our hearts first. He wants to move in his church. He must move in his church first. So it's time to cry out. It's time to throw off our complacency. It's time to throw off our professional Christianity. It's, it's time to humble ourselves before the Lord. It's time to cry out for personal sins. It's time to cry out for corporate sins. It's time to cry out for, because of sins of the nation. And humbly seek the mercy and the grace of God. It's time to dig deeper into his word. We have to know the truth. We have to know his message so that we can carry his message, which is a message of deliverance and freedom and wholeness. And, and we have to accept our calling. We have to let him change our character. We have to be willing to risk and dare walking in his power with a confidence that he's with us and leading the way. We have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, we are Gideon. We are Gideon. That sounds weird, right? Say it out loud. Say, say we are Gideon. It sounds a little awkward. I was telling that myself yesterday and said, that, that sounds weird. <laughs> but it needs to get in us that we are Gideon. We are the answer. You're the answer to somebody in crisis today. You're the message bearer to someone who so desperately needs to hear a word from God. You're the person of encouragement. You're the person that God can, can carry healing and deliverance and, and life to someone who so desperately needs it. That's in your world. That's in the sphere of your, your purview. But we have to get tired of the status quo. And we have to want God to move, even if it's uncomfortable. We have to be willing to put ourselves right in the path of what God wants to do in the earth so that he can use us in it. And that's my prayer for every one of us. That's my prayer for myself, that, that God will use us. Because we are Gideon, if we're willing to be. If we're willing to accept the challenge. We are Gideon today in the earth. The Midianites are all around, but they shouldn't scare us. And if we'll really accept the challenge, the things that we see that want to make us hide should be things where we say, you're coming down. You're coming down in the name of Jesus, not because we're great power, because of the Christ we serve. God moved and Israel's whole world changed. 
let's bow our heads. If you're here, if you're at home, I'm so glad you tuned in online today. I want you to just take a quiet moment and, and just let the Holy Spirit talk to you. I don't know what all this message meant to you. But you respond to it in some way, not to me, to the Lord. Holy Spirit, how do you want, what do you want this message to speak into my life? If I am in some way Gideon, what, what does that mean? What do I need to do? What's, what's, what's hindering me? What's preventing me? What do I have that you can use? Lord, help me to just choose to believe your word over my own thoughts or feelings. How many believe and let faith arise in me and recognize that you, in fact, are greater? We see so many problems around that seem insurmountable. But help me to have faith to realize that there's no mountain you can't level. There's no ocean that you can't empty or drain if you wanted to. God, use your word to change us today. We're so worried about things around us have to change, but Lord, first change us. All of us can walk closer. Wherever we are in our journey with you, all of us could draw closer yet. None of us have experienced all of you. None of us have, have surrendered our whole entire being to you. But Lord, today we're, we're just recommissioning ourselves, redevoting and dedicating ourselves back to you. God, that you would use us. Lord, that we, we choose to put ourselves right in the path of your moving so that when you move, we're swept up in it. When you move, we're, we're included and involved and not observers, but participants in what you're doing, what you're saying. Lord, that we can be your hands and your feet, that we can be your voice, that we can be your heart of compassion and mercy and grace, that we can bring words of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Lord, that we can, we can let the Spirit of God that that lives inside of us, rise up, and the, the gifts and the movements and the operation and the power of that Spirit work through our lives to bring an effect and touch the lives of others for your glory. Lord, in you there's life. In you there's victory. In you there's hope and strength. In you and only in you is everything that we need. So, Father, we just commission ourselves and surrender ourselves again. We are Gideon. We lay aside all of our excuses. We, we lay aside all of our reservations. And we just surrender. Have your way. Have your way in us, Lord. We're your children, your sons and daughters. Have your way in us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Can we give the Lord a praise offering? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being online. I hope to see you next Sunday. God bless you.